Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 125 Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved but abides forever. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds her people, from this time on and forevermore. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, so that the righteous might not stretch out their hands to do wrong. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who are upright in their hearts. But those who turn aside to their own crooked ways, the Lord will lead away with evildoers. Peace be upon Israel. 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 9 through 22. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, Please, let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, You have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken from you, it will be granted you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. He picked up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. When the company of prophets who were at Jericho saw him at a distance, they declared, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. They came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, See now, we have fifty strong men among your servants. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the Spirit of the Lord has caught him up and thrown him down on some mountain or into some valley. He responded, No, do not send them. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, Send them. So they sent fifty men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they came back to him, he had remained at Jericho. He said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the people of the city said to Elisha, The location of the city is good, as my lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw threw the salt into it, and he said, Thus says the Lord, I have made this water wholesome. From now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been wholesome to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. Acts chapter 3 verse 17 through chapter 4 verse 4. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. 
so that times of refreshing may come to the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you, that is, Jesus, who must remain in heaven until the time of universal restoration that God announced so long ago through his holy prophets. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise you up from your own people, a prophet like me. You must listen to whatever he tells you, and it will be that everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be utterly rooted out of the out of the people. And all the prophets, as many as have spoken, from Samuel and those after him, also predicted these days. You are the descendants of the prophets and of the covenant that God gave to your ancestors, saying to Abraham, And in your descendants all the families of the earth shall be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. While Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came to came to them, much annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming that in Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. So they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those kind who heard the word believed, and they numbered about five thousand. Good morning and welcome to the third Tuesday of Advent. This is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Imesville, Maryland. This morning's readings come to us from Psalm 125, 2 Kings 2, and Acts 3 and 4. This morning's story about Elijah and Elisha um, is, is always, it, it's really interesting because Elisha, I'm sorry, Elijah is one of only two people in the Bible who um, do not suffer death, the first being one of uh, Seth's uh, grandchildren, or great, I can't remember what generation, but Seth is um, the third child of Adam and Eve. He replaces Abel after Cain kills him, and Seth is the, the righteous line compared to Cain's corrupt line. And Enoch is, just says, he never suffered death, and he went to be with God. Um, and there's just really fascinating tradition within Judaism that Enoch, um, he's, uh, he became this angel, a gigantic angel, who's also kind of like the, the accountant for God. He weighs the scales and counts, you know, uh, souls' worth or something like that. The angel Enoch is this man who never died. Um, from Seth's line. And Elijah is the only other person in the Old Testament that um, never suffers death. And we have that scene this morning for our reading. And what stood out to me is that um, there, you know, Elisha says like, hey, when you die, let me get a double portion of your spirit. Um, And Elijah's like, okay, well, if you see me die, then you'll get it. If not, then you won't. And they walk along for a little while, and all of a sudden, what do you know? Here come these. This is when it finally happens, so Elisha is, you know, lucks out. Um, but when they, um, when he dies, when he goes to heaven, um, what comes to them are um, chariots and horsemen, and uh, specifically a chariot of fire and horses of fire which first separate Elijah and Elisha and then 
um, carry Elijah in a whirlwind into heaven. And chariots and horsemen, uh, or just horses and chariots, are used throughout the Old Testament to kind of indicate military strength and arrogance, usually. Um, Israel is the nation that has no chariots and horsemen, um, you know, in the older part of the Old Testament, like before the unified um, kingdoms of Israel. Um, they don't have that. Everybody else has, has that, and they keep um, uh, winning against these overwhelming military forces with horses and chariots. It's what Egypt has. It's what chases them uh, through the, the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea. Um, and so it's this, typically it's this imperial imagery of, you know, military strength and might, which all too often corrupt, you know, corrodes into um, arrogance and, you know, over over self-estimation, I suppose. Um, but this is, these are the, um, the things that come and carry Elijah off. Um, and so, uh, you know, it kind of suggests that military might in and of itself is not the problem. Um, that, you know, the, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen uh, remind us that, you know, even Israel will be a mighty nation. Uh, with many horses and chariots, um, but if we allow that, if any nation allows that um, to kind of delude them into thinking that they're somehow hot shit just because they have a lot, you know, a strong military, um, that that is where the problem comes from. Uh, the problem comes from allowing the things that we have to define what we are. So rather than being God's people, they are their own people with horses and chariots. Um, one of the other elements of that is not just military strength, but economic, um, I don't even want to say strength, economic insurance. In Egypt, what they were building wasn't pyramids, as a lot of people think. Uh, they were building storehouses for grain. And one of the first lessons that God teaches um, Israel is the, the lesson of the manna, don't take any more than you need. Live day to day. You'll have what you need. Um, and if you take more, it will spoil. And so, you, it, you know, it, it's made impossible to to hoard. And that's precisely what Egypt is doing. So economic hoarding and insurance plan against, you know, famine, um, which God has thought to cause, and military strength, they both can lead a people to be arrogant, to be self-secure, in believing that they don't need God, they don't need one another. They can just be there alone in the world and live forever as, you know, an empire or a kingdom. Um, and I say that because it's, you know, I, the the history of America is such that, well, I shouldn't say that. I the Our, our memory span, our attention span is so... Um, short, and it's so easy for us to forget our own history, um, that for many people who are dismayed at, you know, the kind of overemphasis we have been putting on our military for, you know, decades, um, uh, and that we've seen our own nation abuse the power of our military. Um, and, you know, it's no, I don't think it's any coincidence that the suicide rate wasn't, you know, really all that noteworthy until, you know, 
we'd been at war for six years, um, six, seven, eight years, with no end in sight, and that the abuse of the military, um, you know, sends people, you know, makes people mad uh, in both ways that that word means, both kind of uh, unwell but also angry. Um, but it wasn't so long ago that we weren't the same way. We didn't, you know, put that same emphasis on the military that we do now. Um, World War II was a big part of that. Um, we need, you know, we rose to meet the occasion, but then we never drew back our forces as we had before. And Eisenhower, who um, was one of the highest ranking generals of all time in America, um, he became president. And as he left, he reflected on having watched the military industrial complex become a military industrial complex. It became its own world with its own, you know, weather almost like um, contracts and money and, you know, whole industries and whole entire large corporations, Fortune 500 corporations, now depend on money from Congress to spend on our military. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't but, uh, you know, two generations ago that we had a very different relationship with our own military and, our, and a different relationship with ourselves before the world. Um, not a whole lot of people believe that in World War II we would be the decisive power. In World War I we were just kind of one of, you know, one of many nations duking it out. But in World War II we took a, a kind of centrality uh, within the Allies. Um, and since then uh, we've kind of held on to that reputation, that, that um, way of thinking, even though the war has ended. Um, we continue to to act and spend as though the war hasn't ended, and so we make new wars to justify maybe or or make sense of this, you know, um, uh, prodigious spending uh, that we put into the military, um, and so there, there's a really there's a duality or a dichotomy between. Um, you know, this, even within the Old Testament where uh, horses and chariots are used over and over and over again to suggest arrogance. Um, that doesn't mean that everybody that has chariots and horsemen are arrogant, but the there's a strong correlation between the number of horses and chariots, the amount of resources that you put into horses and chariots and bombs and warships, there's a correlation between the more that is put in, uh, the more that you know comes out, the more that it self-perpetuates. Um, but that doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. That doesn't mean that militaries are therefore bad. Military, we've just lost sight of their own function, of their primary purpose. Um, and this reading um, is a reminder that even Israel has um, its its chariots and horsemen that um you know it's difficult you know it's like the rich man it might be difficult for them to get into the kingdom of heaven but it's never impossible it might be difficult to be a just nation and a um and a, a well-ordered society and also have a gigantic military it's just very difficult uh but again nothing is impossible and so i want to make sure that we differentiate between you know a good and a bad military because not all militaries are bad. 
um, just in the same way that not all police officers are bad, not all soldiers are bad, um, that the inability to distinguish between the two, between good and bad, um, is an indication of this kind of totalizing uh, imagination that's at play and that I think really does a lot more damage, um, not just to the people um, who are stereotyped as bad or or whatever, but even to the people who do the stereotyping. They've lost sight of the realness and the goodness of God's creation, which includes militaries and includes um, police forces and the like. Um, and so hopefully we can get back to what it means that there are these good and bad things that um, in and of themselves, militaries, soldiers, police officers, in and of themselves, they're, they can be either good or bad. They're not always either one or the other. A prayer for sound government from the Book of Common Prayer. O Lord, our governor, bless the leaders of our land that we may be a people at peace among ourselves and a blessing to other nations of the earth. Teach our people to rely on your strength and to accept their responsibilities to their fellow citizens, that they may elect trustworthy leaders and make wise decisions for the well-being of our society, that we may serve you faithfully in our generation and honor your holy name. For yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Amen. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with Pew Pew HQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.